any of us ever know what it is to become the perfect version of ourselves. This is Decoding Superhuman with your host, Boomer Anderson. Superhumans, Boomer Anderson here. I'm in lovely Asheville, North Carolina. Wrapping up what has become an epic first quarter trip into the Americas. I've been in places like Asheville, like I said, where I am now, Austin, Texas, San Diego, California. I've been at conferences like Body Hacks. I'm going to several more conferences very soon. And I've been down to Argentina and Chile, where I've been to cities like Buenos Aires, Mendoza, El Calafate, and done the W Trek and Torres del Paine. And today's conversation was with a person that I met along the way. And Dr. David Heitman and I had lunch a couple of times in Austin, Texas. And to be fair, I wish I was recording those lunches. But you'll come to see that the sound quality is obviously better when we do it this way. Dr. Heitman and I got into so many things about around movement, mechanics, and injury that it was a great discussion or a great person to have on the podcast because we haven't really covered any one of those subjects in a great level of detail in quite a while. An added benefit of this is that I, you'll hear me describe this in the podcast, recently tweaked my knee hiking around Patagonia. And that tweak was really the premise of really walking through Dr. David's philosophy uh, around injury in today's episode. And so who is Dr. Dave Heitman? Well, he's a health and high performance obsessed person, much like myself. Uh, Since really his love of football began in fourth grade. He was a five-sport athlete growing up and played rugby and football until the age of 27. Talk about a number of collisions. College allowed him to geek out around a double major in biochemistry and molecular biology, and he did research in the fields of biomechanics and energetics. Dr. Heitman received his Doctor of Chiropractic along with his Master's in Sports Science Rehabilitation, and he's completed around 600 hours of training as a clinical exercise physiologist and is a certified strength and conditioning coach. Wow. And by the way, that's only half of his resume, but we want to save some time here. So what did Dr. Heitman and I get into on the podcast? Well, we talked about the anatomy of injury and really how injury comes to being. We talked about the three elements of injury and how really if you're emptying your stress bucket, it's only a matter of time until you injure yourself. We go into specifics around my knee injury in Patagonia and how to recover from that. And then we talk about programming and programming for life, because how do you take your life, break it down into three-month segments so that you program so that things like tissue injury don't actually happen. And when they do, they give you a chance to explore and really become a better, more epic, superhuman individual. The show notes for this one are worth checking out because Dr. Heitman is a listener of the show, but also is a very good friend and has given us a lot of resources as well as a steep discount on his programming. You can go over to decodingsuperhuman.com slash Dr. Dave. That's D-R-D-A-V-E. I don't know if I needed to spell that for you guys, but there it is. Superhumans, enjoy my episode with Dr. David Heitman. The sponsor for today's podcast is Neurohacker Collective. The chairman, Jordan Greenhall, has been on the show to talk about one of my favorite topics and episodes to date, sovereignty. And the medical director has also been on the show to talk about unleashing your human potential through epigenetics. That's Dr. Daniel Stickler. But why do I love Neurohacker Collective so much? Well, frankly, it upgrades me on a day-to-day basis. Actually, I take their products five out of seven days of the week. Their original Qualia stack is something that I absolutely and still thoroughly enjoy. It's packed with over 40 premium brain nutrients to immediately enhance your focus, energy, mood, creativity, and all while supporting your health. Their new flagship nootropic, Qualia Mind, is a premium nootropic supplement that helps support mental performance and brain health. And frankly, with both products, I do not get the crashes that I commonly get with nootropics and other supplements. So I want you to go over to their website and check it out when you have a chance. It's neurohacker.com. And if you subscribe, you get 15% off by using the code BOOMER. If you want to just do a one-time purchase, you get 10% off, again, using that code BOOMER. And while you're there, pick up their free foundational guide to neurohacking. It's definitely worth checking out. But please, enjoy the show. Dr. Dave, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. 
I'm so glad you're here. This is an extremely timely conversation for me because I just got back from Patagonia where I was hiking, call it 30 kilometers plus a day. And I have a little bit of an injury. And so when you and I discussed a topic around injuries, this is very fitting. So thank you for coming on and clearing some things up for everybody today. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you can't beat timeliness. So <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about you because you have experience with this field for quite a long period of time, but also with quite a variety of people, some high performing executive types to sports teams, etc. Do you mind just going through some of the work you've done in the past around injury? Well, not just prevention, but also recovery. Yeah, for sure. And, and the main focus, I'll brief over uh, some of the um, logistical aspects of I, I did own a sports medicine clinic for 10 years where everything from Olympic pro athletes all the way down to youth sports I was in charge of. So I had the medical director for 12 different sports teams, including, you know, oversight versus being on field providing athletic training services, uh, designing the whole strength and conditioning programs for teams and in-season, out-of-season programming. Uh, but then also in office, actually physically treating the athletes and taking them really, we call ourselves more coaches than chiropractors and sports medicine physicians because I'm at the true believer that if you're not controlling the whole situation, you know, you can do whatever you want to an injury and it's not going to get better. And Whoa, whole systems talking about it. Love yeah, it. yeah, exactly. And, and this is why I think you and I I clicked so well mm -hmm. uh, when we first talked and, and I love being on this podcast from the standpoint of your listeners are going to be really engaged with a lot of this information. So it's easier for me to talk about it. But uh, yeah, just real quick of the, the logistics of, of who I am as uh, in undergrad, I started my path off as a double major in biochemistry and molecular biology. And I was set to go down the MD PhD route. And I stuck myself in the lab and did biomechanics and energetics research. And that ended up uh, driving me nuts. <laughs> I realized I couldn't sit in the lab. Mm -hmm. uh, so I foregoed the MD PhD route because I was on the oncology path and then switched over to chiropractic because it was actually a natural fit for me. And then in chiropractic school, I studied sports medicine. I also went and got a master's degree in sports science and rehabilitation. Uh, and then through the American College of Sports Medicine, I did 600 hours of training of clinical exercise physiology, certified strength and conditioning coach. And really, you know, those are like the logistic nuts and bolts. So, so the, the page long resume, if you will, the right? Page long, yeah, it's actually, I think I'm up to like eight or nine pages of like different things that I've done. And I was president of the school and nine different boards for the whole school of all the way from admissions to you name it in there, president of a rugby club. And I helped build a, a big multi-million dollar sports complex uh, in my town, you know, so high achiever is essentially <laughs> what my target market was and who I got into the office. This is great because uh... I, I love this, but you and I have had lunch together a few times in Austin, Texas. And one of the things I love about your story is kind of not just the degrees, right? You've had some practical experience with hurting yourself, one of which I didn't come to know until recently, but freaks me out just thinking about it. Do you mind going into some of that? Yeah, for sure. And, and that's actually the more important story for leading by example is that all of this knowledge, I realized how much BS it was when my stuff started hitting the fan because I was such an overachiever, because I thought that I could force through everything. I was the person who uh, was the team captain of everything, you know, five to seven different sports growing up. I played uh, football up until I was 24. I played rugby until I was 27 at a very competitive level. And uh, through that, I mean, I had 14 broken bones, torn ligaments, uh, I had uh, three different shoulder separations that caused traction injuries to my nerve and would lose feeling to my hand uh, for three months at a time. I'd black out when I would hit people because the blood vessels would get cut off into my brain. You know, I've, I've had all the crazy stuff, which is actually what led me to be more of a chiropractor versus an MD. This is, this is super interesting, by the way, Dr. Dave, because like, if there's one person in the world that beats me in terms of kid injuries, uh, <laughs> it, it may be you. I, I feel really bad for my parents is what it comes down to. Like, <laughs> I think six times a year they were dragging me into the emergency room of like the dreaded phone call coming back from a football game. <laughs> there you go. There you go. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it drives us as, as physicians, you can know all the knowledge that you want and, and it's the application of this. And what ended up happening was in my practice, I hit all of my career goals in five years of building my, my empire. And we were in 6,500 square feet. I had indoor cycling, uh, a whole bunch of subcontractors doing this for me. So there was a CrossFit gym, there was indoor cycling, there was triathlon coaching, yoga, personal training. And then I had like a full kitchen. We did nutrition seminars, the full scope of sports medicine. And I got so overwhelmed with it. I was working 100 hours a week and it led me to insomnia. It led me to the popcorn, beer, and Netflix mentality. Oy. where you would work 15 hours a day, but you couldn't sleep. So you just eat a bowl of popcorn and drink a beer at night uh, to watch Netflix to try to unwind. And uh, so I got all the bad symptoms. I got brain fog. I got fatigue. I got uh, overstressed. I got depressed. And the really big one for me was the one day, and I, I, I love and hate talking about this all the time. I get pretty emotional. There was one day where literally driving to work, I was like, maybe I should just drive off the road so that I don't have to show up today. Yeah, um, this is interesting, right? Because I, I know there's a lot of people listening to this that are finance people. And I, I remember my first years wondering if I could just walk in front of a cab and go to the hospital to get some sleep, basically. It's the dirty secrets of high performance. <laughs> yeah, it's um, there. there is a dark side. And I think, you know, some people take that dark side to the extreme. But I'm glad you didn't. Because I've had some great times with you since. Uh, so talk us through that day, because that that's pretty crazy. Yeah, it was it was a sign that uh, my ego, and and at this point, you know, I knew I was good at everything I ever did, and that was the sign that like, oh, maybe I'm not good at everything, and it was the flipping mindset to start reaching out and putting things together, and then from a health standpoint, since we want to make it relevant to everyone here, is. I went down the whole path for two to three years of diagnosis, you know, one diagnosis, one treatment. So, oh, I have low testosterone, so let's do some testosterone. Oh, I have heavy metal poisoning, so let's do chelation. <laughs> oh, let's do paleo diet. Let's do candida diet. I'm yeast overgrowth, so I went and got antifungals. And I just did this path, and it wasn't making a difference. You're also spending a lot of money, too. <laughs> spending a lot of money, spending a lot of time in even more time just sitting there like beating myself up of I'm the smartest guy in the world, according to all my degrees and success, but I can't figure out my own health at this point. And it was because I was missing all of the other factors in life. Uh, it, it was the sleep. It was the lighting. It was the, you know, all of the other things that what I love about your podcast, you know, that we talk about, it's all those other 23 hours in the day you know, I even did the the silly thing of uh, signed up and did my half Ironman thinking that maybe I was just lazy and uh, didn't, you know, put everything together. So I went and did a half Ironman to see if it would fix me, right? <laughs> Which I think is really common. Uh, and it didn't do anything. I mean, other than cool, yeah, I did a couple of races, but yeah, it didn't do anything for my health. And and so literally the, the world collapsed and I just said, screw it. I changed my mindset. I said, I'm in control of my own destiny. And uh, started focusing on my health instead of the business and uh, changed my whole world around. Mm -hmm. And talk me through sort of the first steps that you did because you like that mindset shift doesn't occur overnight. It how, doesn't. Did, how did you catalyze that? Yeah, it was it was first not knowing anything about self-help because I had never needed anything like that. <laughs> so I, I got into the whole, uh, you know, storm of um, Success Magazine, Darren Hardy, uh, Tony Robbins, things like that. And I quickly realized that a lot of those people are, are selling motivational strategies that aren't for me. Like I never had a problem with motivation. I just didn't know how to put myself together. But it, it opened my mind. And, and really the biggest transformation was um, we had got addicted to watching food shows and tiny living, like wanting the escape of let's go farm. <laughs> and, so, uh, so we're talking like all of the pictures I see on Instagram of yurts and these kind of things. Exactly. That, that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. Literally like, let's go build my own timber frame home and uh, turn into a hermit so no one can bother me kind of thing. So as a result of that, uh, there was a show called the mind of a chef. 
And we got addicted to that show. And I was like, one day I just said, let's go on a tour. I'd never really taken a vacation in eight years. So I said, let's go on a tour and try to meet these chefs. And so we did. We went on a two-week vacation and uh, traveled around the country. And it was the most enlightening thing because it was the first time I had stepped away from my business to realize that the business was my problem, not my health. And it allowed me the framework to start to say, to start to incrementally make the changes towards my health by fixing the business situation. So now, I I mean... I know a little bit about your backstory, but the, suffice to say, you're not in that business anymore. Yeah, uh, you're, yeah you're we fo- closed everything down. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you moved on to bigger and brighter pastures, but let's, um, let's go into injuries because uh, I wanted this selfishly, I wanted you on the show to help me kind of fix my knee issue, exactly. but also... Yep. Let's let's talk about just sort of an injury in general, because there's a lot there that I think people don't understand at appropriate levels. Exactly. And, and this is this is why my practice was so successful is integrating not just the injury side of care of just giving a blanket statement. You know what you should do is go get chiropractic. You know, that doesn't fly with me. Um, so we have to preframe the injury. And so like in the case of your knee, we could look at your programming on what you did before you went up to it. So let's talk about that quick. Very common, high percentage of patients in my office. I had a very high endurance population, very high rugby population. And uh, a lot of them were the high-level attorneys, high-level financial people, high-level entrepreneurs that were running themselves crazy. And I call it the stress bucket, that if your bucket is out of water, it doesn't matter how good your programming is, you're going to fail at it and you're going to cause injury. You're going to get your bursitis. You're going to get your knee pain. You're going to get that hip socket not working properly. And it's going to suffer for your performance standpoint. That is literally the number one reason why people get injuries. And I'm going to throw a little monkey wrench out here and say, including trauma. So say you're a football player and you want to argue with me that you can't control trauma to your knee, that you, you, you know, someone dove in and they tore your ligament. Well, I would make the argument that your training didn't include you to stretch that ligament out in a micromanaged kind of way, a microtrauma kind of way to improve the resilience of that ligament. Okay. So I want to, I want to back up here just a second, because this is, this is pretty interesting. So let's go back to the stress bucket because this is awesome. Okay. Stress bucket. If I'm picturing stress, not just as physical stress, but also we're talking mental stress, lack of sleep, et cetera. It's everything, right? It's everything. In, in the equation is this, I used to describe it very specifically as, oh, nutrition is putting water in and, and exercises, you know, over exercise is taking it out. A life stress, a death in the family is taking water out. Now I've come to realize through, you know, the thousands of patients that I've treated is that stress is actually relative. So nutrition can both put water into the bucket and nutrition can take water out of the bucket. Exercise can put water into the bucket and exercise can take water out of the bucket. And it's all perception. Some people thrive off of extra workload and they actually take water out of their bucket if they're not working because it creates anxiety and stress. So whatever the equation is for that individual, and that's where coaching actually needs to come into play to uh, have the self-realization around this, is that if your bucket's empty, you're going to be prone to every injury under the sun. You're going to fail. You're going to have problems. You're not going to get through your Ironman training. Uh, 85% of endurance athletes end up with foot pain or knee pain. You know, statistics are out there and they're staggering. Um, And it's because a high volume of endurance athletes are high performers. And so they're running at three o'clock in the morning to try to fit their three hour training schedule in before they do 10 hours of work. And it just, it empties their bucket out. So that's, that's the pre-frame. The other thing I like to point out is that we live in this information age, information overload, and no one's making it relevant or bringing the wisdom behind it. And so people focus on the one hour of working out. What is my best deadlifting technique? And they're not focusing on the other 23 hours of the day. And so their stress bucket gets empty 
And while they're deadlifting, they throw their back up. Like it's a simple equation. Okay. All right. So a simple equation. This is awesome because I, I have multiple clients myself who are the weekend Ironman types. And, you know, some of them are debating now whether or not they should actually continue this practice because something like this has happened. And, you know, it's just, okay, let's take practical steps now because uh, you go and work out for an hour every day. Um, you are, you have 23 hours left in the day. What do you, what should you be doing uh, in order to just kind of make this, make this lifestyle work? Yeah. So it's, it's about all the other stuff and, and especially in the endurance world. Uh, well, I should say this in every athletic world, the, the perception that people have to realize is that the programs that are getting sold out there, which are typically done by pro athletes, right? So someone successful in endurance, they turn around and they open up their coaching and they sell their programs. Well, genetically speaking, uh, and situational speaking, those people have the genetics to do what they're doing naturally. Uh, the, we can see this case after case of a baseball pitcher who eats two boxes of cereal for breakfast in the morning, is 60 pounds overweight, and is still a major league baseball player. They turn around and teach people how to throw a baseball when they have no idea behind the mechanics of how to actually do the craft that they're doing because they were naturally gifted towards it. But then every high achiever who is a, an attorney who can pay for their services goes out and tries to do the exact same thing. And, you know, most of it ends up in injury or failure or not having the performance or success that they want. We have to keep in mind that these pros focus more on recovery, but they sell you the program that they use to work out. They're not, they're not you know, uh, sleep and sun and water aren't sexy, but those are the things that actually make you stronger. <laughs> okay, we're we're going to talk about each one of those individual uh, components here in a second. But suffice to say that when I was an aspiring CrossFit athlete, following the programming of somebody like a Rich Froning is probably not a good idea, right? Yeah, in in general, right? Unless you have the time to actually dedicate to the recovery side, like they were, you know, when you're working out twice a day, you've got to have like a nap in between. You've got to have that downtime to recover. But most high performers, they do those workouts and then they go to work or they have kids or they've got you know, relationship things they're dealing with and they don't have the mental space to just go into a down-regulated state to heal. Mm -hmm. Now, let's talk about injury. Like, what is it actually? Well, and that's, that's the great lead into this is because the reason why that's important is because injuries, I like to describe them in the simplest form possible. There's three uh, things that get affected. There's a chemical, there's mechanical, and a neurological aspect that happens in an injury. So let's just take your knee, for example. Let's let's get after your knee. What what did you do to your knee? I tweaked it. I, I use the term tweak because I have yet to have an MRI, um, so it's not a very scientific analysis. But uh, I was getting after a big 30 kilometer hike on the first day, not paying attention to the stone, for instance, uh, slipped on a stone because it's nature. I mean, I was in Torres del Paine in Patagonia. It's nature. You slip on a stone and it was just kind of like, Oh, something happened there. And then the next couple of days, it just got progressively worse to the point where I couldn't walk on the final day. Got it. Yep. So let's break that down. So uh, an injury happened, you are, in this case, not getting an immediate sensation, but over time, chemicals start to get released saying, hey, I'm injured. So that's swelling, right? The swelling can inhibit neurological function to the area. So your body tries to protect itself. So it actually inhibits the firing of the support muscles of the knee. And in fact, sends chemicals to tighten down. We don't want to move when we're injured. And so Is this why I have the, the limp going? Yep, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so it tightens up and then there's an actual mechanical downstream effect of that where the knee is supposed to rotate. It's called the screw home mechanism. As you bend and flex and extend your knee, it rotates in and out of itself. And there's a meniscus there. It's the jelly donut of the knee. And that's supposed to be able to glide back and forth. The ligaments are there for end range protection. 
So the injury itself started and you went past the tissue allowance for your given knee, which can be trained. And this is why we talked about pre-injury and we're going to be talking about post-injury is that you created tissue inflexibility and you stepped on something as simple as a rock. And this, I see this across the board all the time. This is the quintessential endurance athlete who trains on the road. They never have to like actually move their body. You can become super efficient at running on a flat surface. And these are the people who complain about going up the tiny itty bitty hill because they suddenly have to use a different muscle set. That makes them very inflexible towards injury. If they step on a pebble, if they step off the curb wrong, they sprain their knee, they sprain their ankle, they get severe back pain. I've seen sciatics start because of it. And because over time, you become very inadaptable. And so that's the pre-programming stuff. The injury aspect of it, now you got to deal with what you got, right? <laughs> so, yeah, so can we, uh, can we double click on pre-programming? Because I think that I just want to do that real quick, and then we'll go into the actual dealing with this Pain yeah. So, so the pre-programming for something like this is when we look at the programming aspect, we think tissue management, we think movement, and then we think workload. And when we design a program, we should have certain percentages of those and they should be cycling through in three month segments. So three months is kind of statistically where our body, uh, there's an adapt, uh, adaptation phase and then a refining phase that happens in that that allows the tissue to mold and adapt to whatever we're doing whatever stress and we have to keep in mind right exercise is a stress and nutrition is a stress to the body and we need to adapt to it so from a ligament standpoint i'll take the most extreme case this is why thai kickboxers will spend 10 years kicking a tree so that they you know, develop the ligaments and the, the bone structure, and you can kick the crap out of their legs and they're not going to sprain their knee, right? Yeah. So the philosophy is the same is that when we look at tissue management and movement, no one's talking about this from a programming standpoint. If we're, look, if we're looking at overall health, we have to have the tissue management to make sure that there isn't inflammation in there and that there's actually an encourageable tissue flexibility, whether it be ligaments or muscles, that they're healthy, they're hydrated, they've got all the nutrients that they actually need to respond to stress. Uh, they have the oxygen, right? So we can get into breathing. If, if we can't hold our breath for longer than 15 seconds when we exhale, we know we're not getting oxygen delivery to it. So you go try to do a certain thing and yeah, it's going to tear. So that's the pre-framing tissue management. The movement side of it is the actual ligament flexibility. So creating micro, uh, essentially, if you want to call it microdosing uh, of the experience. It, it's trendy right now, so you might as well use yeah, the yeah, term. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you might as well throw out these terms. You really want a good rating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're going to microdose ligament elastic. <laughs> um, but, but it is serious. So like something as simple as your calcaneus, your heel bone. Uh, most people don't realize that that thing is supposed to land in a certain position and roll through a specific motion. And through the nature of sports, you actually destroy that motion. It becomes very solid. The myofascial tissue around it becomes stiff and rigid. And this is why we get all of the bursitis and plantar fasciitis and osses and toe pains and all of those things in that sport. Because no one's focusing on actually just doing the simple ankle roll stretch to increase the flexibility of those tissue structures around the heel, plain and simple. So it needs to be part of the program if you want to stay healthy. Now, it just takes time. And so when we look back through programming, if someone's only got an hour of their time to dedicate, which is what the um, horrible excuses that I'm given by every high performer. Yep. I get those because all the time. Think, yeah. They think big picture concepts, like I have to get to the gym in order to be healthy. The reality is, is you can make your foot and ankle healthy by sitting at a desk and just doing ankle stretches. So it, it comes down to the daily other 23 hours that you can fit your tissue management, you can fit your movement into like there's weird things. I walk up the stairs and I'll walk on my big toe one time and only on my heels another time. Interesting. So just kind of little, little everyday things that 
effectively being more mindful to what you're doing and how you're interacting with your everyday world. And you can get all this stuff done and still have your 23 hours, right? And I fit it into a three month program. So when I went through the process, so I had uh, chopped up my foot in the lawnmower when I was younger. And then I also broke the sesamoid bone. And what they did to me, um, and it kind of wrecked my college football plane. They put me in these big, thick orthotics that massively slowed me down. I had severe toe pain by the time I got to You mean I shouldn't have Dr. Scholl's on my shoes? Yeah, no, we'll we'll get into that's a whole different (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's, uh, you know, so I had this massive big ball of arthritis in my big toe. I literally couldn't move it. And so I actually spent three years uh, re-breaking the arthritis through there uh, and getting my toe flexibility back and going through that whole process. But you have to have these short intent goals to keep your mind activated towards something. So if you're an endurance athlete who's suffering from uh, patellofemoral pain, or for like you, you've got this knee thing now, you want to uh, set your three-month structure where the tissue management and the movement is everything you focus on through your daily stuff. So you're stretching your your hip, you're stretching side to side in your knee, you're stretching your calcaneus out uh, as, you know, looping all three subjects together now. But that, that's the biggest success. Then you can get really cool programming for your one hour of doing your, your CrossFit lift or whatever the case may be. Let's go back. So now I have this injury. Um, like I have this injury. Occasionally it leads me to a point where I just can't walk. Uh, what do I, what do you do? Like other than going to the doctor and getting prescribed Vicodin or some sort of other things, which I'm not going to comment on the current medical world because I'm not a medical doctor, but, uh, well, what do you do? Yeah. So there, and I'll just put it within the, the 30 second paradigm shift around going to the doctor versus taking care of yourself. The medical doctors are there for really great reasons. If you have a broken bone, you're going to get it fixed, um, those sorts of things. But they are not specialists in any way around anything other than pain management. If you go there with even a simple knee sprain, say, you know, yours sounds a little bit more severe, which we'll get into. But say, say you just tweaked something like a, an ankle sprain you can expect they don't know anything other than to splint you to try to reduce pain for the next two weeks. It's not fixing you. They're not trained to fix people. They are trained to stop pain because that is what is defined as a medical success. So when you put that in perspective, it's perfectly fine to go get an x-ray and an MRI to get the knowledge behind what's actually going on. I can tell you from stats that 96% of the time, there's no medical treatment actually needed. 4% of things are actually what we would call a red flag where you would actually need medical intervention. So the cancers, broken bones, infections, gunshots, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. The bad stuff, knife into the head. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the point being is that we have to take control of all of the surrounding factors. And this is why it's important to understand there's a chemical a neurological and a movement equation to healing your pain. So in specific, uh, this is why people like talking to me about their injuries is I'm not the person that is a uh, one nail, one hammer kind of person. I'm not the person that just says, well, go do this and you will fix yourself. If we break down the categories individually, chemical healing. So what do we have to do to heal the chemical side of the injury? Well, that's going to be your ginger, turmeric, fish oils, making sure your diet's on point, you know, controlling that chemistry from that perspective. You can control the chemistry with light therapy, right? So you've got a couple of podcasts and, and people can go back through this. That we're, we're talking, and, and by the way, guys, just like I've had the sauna space founder, Brian Richards on, as well as uh, Brian from Red Light Rising. Uh, so we're talking photobiomodulation here, right? Yep, exactly. So, so and then there's, there's something I don't think you've had on is cold laser, uh, which is something that I had in my office. You, you know, just something as simple as heating and icing, and there's all sorts of ice will help you not feel things. Heat will heal things. And so depending on where the stage of the injury is, you can use different methods. You can use ice in the first 72 hours, then you can start doing ice heat for a little while, and then you turn it into heat only as you start to get more and more 
motion and those sorts of things into the joint. You know, then not to mention all of the great advancements in stem cell therapy, regenerative medicine, peptides, like that's a whole separate conversation, but that's healing the chemical equation of the injury. Uh, then let's look at neurological. So there's vibration therapy, which stimulates the nervous system to relax. If you want to think of, there's, there's several different forms of this. Uh, if you hop on a vibe plate, uh, mechanoreceptors have been shown to tighten ligaments. So if you have shoulder instability, or in the case of your knee, they will actually help um, shrink up the ligaments a little bit. But neurologically speaking, they uh, stimulate, they overload the system for a short while, and that actually creates a relaxing effect in your body. And so you can actually use vibration therapy to turn off pain sensors because you can't perceive them at the same time. Uh, and you can go through a bigger range of motion and therefore have a bigger therapeutic value of getting into a deeper knee squat to try to fix, which is most likely your meniscus in your case. So, you know, frozen shoulder, you can have someone hold on to a vibration thing and they don't feel their shoulder pain. So you can get them twice as far through a range of motion. That's fascinating. Yeah. Cool stuff that way. Then there's things like direct current, you know, so you've had, you fit on the newbie with Garrett Peter. Love it. It's amazing technology. I've, I've worked with them quite a bit. You know, he's revolutionized the way direct current is actually working and that it mimics the nervous system, which is a huge advancement using old technology, essentially. But what that's going to do is flood the nervous system again to allow you to uh, activate the muscles around the area and support it. It also increases blood flow and lymph tissue. You know, getting back to the chemicals, I forgot all about the lymph tissue, right? You can do lymph massage. You can do deep tissue massage. You can Wouldn't put the, the tape on. Would the vibration plate stimulate the lymph as well? Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's a big benefit of it is it gets that system going because it's not hooked up to your heart. You got to have mechanical motion in order to get your lymph pushed around. So it clears out the toxins and crap around the area. Neurologically speaking, too, is is actual movement. So my qualification in my office was always uh, sharp pain is bad, dull pain is good. So you embrace the dull pain, the, especially the deep dull. You want to embrace that and you move into it. When you get to the sharp pinching pain, that's you actually pinching tissue and you can create an inflammatory response. But the dull pain is therapeutic in helping you. And then from the movement standpoint, it's microdosing again the movement. So with your knee, always, 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 we need to get that screw home mechanism back engaged because most likely what you did, your ligaments were inflexible. You didn't have the actual adaptability in your knee to handle when you stepped wrong onto a rock and slid, probably caught uh, an old piece of meniscus in there where it's stuck and now it's grinding. So the longer you walk on it, the more swollen it gets. And by the end of the day, you can't walk on it, kind of what you're describing. Mm -hmm. So typically that's a piece of caught tissue. That's a big mechanical thing. So we want to undo that. We want to tell the body that it's okay to move in that area. So repetitive motions of knee extension and flexion, but also like literally grabbing onto the knee and making circles with it while you're extending it. It's the number one thing. 70% of meniscus tears are bucket handle tears, which actually don't require surgery, even though it's the number one surgery in the country right now. 400,000 of them are done a year. Uh, we won't get into that stuff. <laughs> but uh, in my office, I would just pop them back into place essentially. And within a week or two, people would be pain-free and back on the rugby field playing. So essentially, <laughs> I have to ask this question. You got you got to walk me through this. So I'm extending <laughs> because if this is indeed a meniscus, whatever it is, uh, I'm extending my knee and kind of rotating it in a circular motion at the same time. Is that right? Yeah, and you're gonna feel weird clicking and end range of motion problems. Is what I describe them at. And like at the bottom of the circle, usually on one side or the other, depending on which side of the meniscus you affected, it's going to, and by the way, I'm not diagnosing anyone or treating anyone. Here. We're just having a conversation. It's a great conversation. But, yes. Yeah, guys, by the way, if you have issues, go see your doctor. This is by no means medical information. Yep, exactly. And, that, and that's why I encourage people to still go get a meniscus, you know, an MRI of everything, because it's going to tell you specifically, a lot of times they miss stuff too, but... 
when you take control of your own healthcare and you start doing circles like this, you are actually working towards fixing the problem. The MRI is great for informative, like, hey, I have this going on, which can help guide your treatment plan and all of those sorts of things and what you do yourself. But that end catching in the circum, uh, circumduction range of motion, you'll feel it and you embrace it and you don't get it to the sharp pain, but you just keep kind of wiggling past it. I always call them wiggle exercises because you're just like, it's almost like someone's scratching your head. If they scratch too hard, it, it's annoying, but a little bit feels kind of good. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what will start to happen. And a lot of times that unlocks the knee. Um, that opens up if it is a true bucket handle tear, which if you've had any kind of previous injuries or anything like that, that's the most common thing. That's literally a flap folding over itself at the ed edge of the meniscus, and it needs to be unflapped. So you have to create the gap in your knee in order for that to happen, if you want to imagine that, like unflapping. That mechanical takes the pressure off, and you'll feel an immediate return of motion. So you'll be able to extend and flex better. You should be able to immediately walk longer with less inflammation. That swelling, by the way, is the, why I'm indicating that it's a mechanical problem. If it was just something torn, like if you tore your ACL or MCL, it would just be swollen all the time and you wouldn't be able to walk on it. If you've got this mechanical issue where by the end of the day, it's way more swollen and you stop walking, that's usually just something pinched in there and you're irritating it as you're going through the day. It needs to get unstuck, essentially. So that's specifically for you. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, a great, uh, it's a great conversation around how to think of injuries and how to think of your body that when something's going wrong and you're out in the middle of a run, you can literally start, you know, stop what you're doing and start these types of movements to fix it in an immediate kind of way before the injury happens. You can prevent your meniscus from ripping open. You can prevent that bursitis from forming if you just pay attention to your body in real time and refocus into the movement equation and the tissue management equation of the programming. Mm -hmm. This is brilliant. Uh, it's just extremely helpful. I wish I would have had it before I screwed myself up, but, yeah, but um, no, you can't, you can't think that either. Cause that's, that's a mindset thing. Uh, Here, there you go. Here's the big question that people always, you know, why, why am I uh, exercising? If I keep getting hurt, right. I'm on 14 broken bones and torn ligaments. Why would I keep torturing myself with exercise? Well, the alternative is getting fat and diabetic and dying of all sorts of lifestyle diseases. It just doesn't make sense in the equation. I'd rather deal with injuries and embrace the injuries and know that they're going to happen. And, and this comes into the whole mindset of healing and taking care of myself versus looking for a pill and a quick fix. You embrace injuries then. You, in, you reward them. Like, so I've got a bad back uh, from all my years of random stuff. And I've got, you know, basically the holes in my lower back aren't big enough for my nerves. And if I squat wrong, if I do something to it, uh, it lets me know for a month or two where I can't sit down to go to the bathroom on the toilet. It, it gets that bad. But every time I've done it, I've taken it as an opportunity to increase the range of motion in my low back. So I actually engage into it. And because of that, my back keeps getting better and better instead of worse and worse. Interesting. That's a great perspective because, I mean, for me, it's now an opportunity to improve range of motion on the knee. And the next time I go and do powerlifting competitions to exactly. just improve the biomechanics on was essentially a bunch of knee movements. Yeah, um, yeah uh, exactly. That's yeah, great. Yeah, the twisting and, and, you know, especially when you start talking about um, Olympic lifts, CrossFit lifts, things like that. You have to focus on that tissue flexibility because if you only train one direction, as soon as you jump off that box wrong and you have any slightly twist in there, you're, you're done. You're done training, period. So incorporate it up front. <laughs> this is brilliant. Okay. So uh, in terms of, and you touched on this a little bit earlier, but I want to come back to this. So we, we've talked a little bit about what is the injury. We've talked about ways to kind of look at uh, now that you have something, how to deal with it. How do you look at programming going forward? I mean, you kind of talk, talked on this sort of the prehab stuff, but let's talk about 
afterwards? How do you look at programming? Because I love how you look at life in three-month sprints because I do that for all aspects of my life. I guess first question is, what is the significance of three months? Well, that's that tissue management. So epigenetic change, you know, stress to the body. So we the first four weeks are spent the body going, whoa, what the heck's going on? The second four weeks are, okay, cool, we're rebuilding. The uh, third set of four weeks, you're actually building upon what you've now achieved. So it's the, oh crap, something new's happening. This is the new, uh, the new foundation or setting the foundation and then you're building that foundation. Okay. Yep. And statistically, neuroscience teaches us that our brain works well in 90-day segments. This is why business planning is around 90 days, all of those sorts of mindset things. So we can, we can stay with intense focus. The other thing that no one talks about in the injury equation is that everyone thinks that their life has ended if an injury happens, that it's the end of them, like with your knee. You, you immediately think, oh my God, I'm going to have knee pain the rest of my life. However, if you bring it back into a three-month equation where you can say, let's focus on your knee, let's get it healthy for three months. If you put in the hard work now to fix your knee and continue to further program around it through this neurological stimulation, the flexibility and movement equation, tissue management equation, then after that, it just becomes normal habit and you don't think about your knee ever again. And so that, that's the continuation programming around the three months is it gives us a sense of hope. So say we're um, competing for something year after year. We're an endurance athlete. A lot of people hang up the hat and be done with endurance with one problem because the common mentality out there is that once you get that knee pain really going, that patellofemoral runner's knee, you should just stop running like because that's the most common recommendation. The reality is that's just a sign that you've been running wrong your whole time and you need to adjust your program. You need to learn how to run better. You need to take care of your tissue management. So if you think about it from a three-month segment and you back off of your programming for a short while, let's say Ironman is six months out from now. If you work on that first three months getting healthy, I've seen this time and time again with my everything from bodybuilding to Ironman athletes. I restrict them way back. I have to mentally coach them through success from the standpoint of they think I'm absolutely nut job crazy for saying, I know you're a competitive bench presser, but don't do bench for the next month. Uh, you, you would basically put a dagger in my heart, right? Like, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But every single one of those cases, they've come back and set PRs. And that's the cool thing. I just got goosebumps. The amount of people that I've, I've sent through with that mindset of, getting their body holistic and especially around a problem area, you need to fix it and you need to fix it fast. You need to let go of your sport paradigm for a short while and then immediately get back into it. And because you come back healthier, you can explode through the world with whatever you're doing. You know, so it's, it, when we're talking programming like that post-injury, example being your knee, like we would just set up for the next in four week segments, what you should be doing for the three months to get it back. So the first part of the first four weeks are going to be really about tissue swelling, uh, management, getting basic range of motion, getting basic neurological firing going, you know, getting your adductor firing properly again, getting your hip complex to fire properly. And then the second four months is going to be building off of that. So then we're going to start more compound movements. We're going to deep stretch into the knee joint, you know, and then the third four weeks in that, that four months, you're going to explode through the knee. You're going to get that tissue flexibility back. You're going to purposely put yourself in awkward positions to stretch the ligaments around it so that you can have a ton of elasticity with the joint and make sure that it's moving properly and can handle something like you jumping off a plyo box. So that's the typical post-injury programming that I think of. So, so I shouldn't jump in and start squatting right away, right? Like I exactly. should probably, I should probably take some time off. Yep. Uh, which I sh- I'm not going to tell you what I did at the gym this morning, then. Um, right. Yeah. Because <laughs> the body is not telling you to actually activate your adductor to stabilize your pelvis, which is going to make you, you know, overarch your back, and you're going to get disc herniations and things like that. Like there's a big chain of effects that happens, neurologically speaking, that you have to fix that first. 
before you get back into your normal movements and your normal routine. Mm-hmm. Once you've kind of set this uh, in place and you're sorry, let's say I'm back and I'm 100% and hopefully I, I've now squatted over 400 pounds for the first time in my life. How do you kind of look at this from like three months to the rest of your life? And forgive me if I'm going off base here because there's a hell of a lot of tissue in the body. There's a hell of a lot of, <laughs> right? there's a hell of a lot of fascia. Like, are you on just constant rotation of these? Because I know from most people's training plans that I've looked at, tissue management is just non-existent. So how would you, as sort of someone who's done this with athletes over time, look at programming? It's, it's It's the million dollar question because that's where actual coaching comes into play. What is it that you want out of this life? What is it that you want out of this next year? Are you, you know, are you going after a competitive goal? Let's say two years from now, I want to compete in the CrossFit games. Cool. Okay. Here's our two year mark. And here's every three months. This is what our cycle should be. You know, so, so it comes down to coaching with that equation, but I'll give a more general uh, perspective is that everyone listening to this podcast should be expecting to live to 150. Right. And so we have to look at our uh, health journey as continual reinvestment into something that drives us to have fun. And the biggest thing that I've seen is the people who stick with doing stuff is they're just having fun with it. So they may kayak, get into adventure kayaking for five to 10 years and be like, nah, I'm done. Okay, let's switch over to endurance or let's switch over to mountain biking. You know, having that constant stimulation and goal-driven people need this. You, you just, there, then there's a component of programming for the specific sport. And then there's a component of programming for your health. And your health is going to be, if you want to think of the 90-year-old Tai Chi guy who like, could kick the butt out of everyone, you know, and they have tons of flexibility, ligament health, they're on spot with nutrition, all of those sorts of things. Like That's the backside of the story that you want to focus on being healthy and happy around your body. And you just happen to have sport-specific goals as opposed to saying, I'm going to win the national championship for my age group in Ironman. And that's the only thing that you focus on, forgetting the fact that you're human and you need to be healthy for long term. Well said. Uh, the term I like to use for all of these things is uh, anti-fragile, right? Like we want to build a system that can handle volatility, uh, whether that be in the workplace or walking on rocks in Patagonia. Um, yep. Like that's, that's the idea. Exactly. Yeah, you want to be able to uh, think at the end of your life, be dropped off in the middle of the woods, and you can survive no problem. Like, that is the true sign of health. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dr. Dave, this is amazing. This is absolutely incredible. Uh, We've covered a lot here. I I have a few more questions to ask you, uh, which are, I'm looking forward to your answers here because I haven't asked you these before, even though we've had lunch multiple times. When it comes to the word performance, in terms of improving performance, and you can define performance in your own way, but where do you think people should pay more attention to that they currently aren't? Yeah, having fun with what they're doing. Oh, oh wow. That's a, yeah. that's a good one. Uh, I didn't even think you were going to come up with that. I thought it was going to be something else, but that's great. <laughs> well, because it's such a common question that I get, it's in, in over the thousands of hours that I've put into helping high performers, Um, I've seen every goal setting lead to problems around performance of they get obsessed over one thing and it's human nature. We, we pick one thing, whether that be diet, you know, nutrition or supplements or a specific workout program, we get obsessed over CrossFit, but a lot of people lose the fun in it. They, they have their fun for the first three months, six months, year, but then it becomes boring and they lose interest in it. And so therefore their programming becomes the same. So they, they, they got kicked off with this quintessential, like I lost my 50 pounds of weight and a year later it's back on because it was fun and exciting for the first 50 pounds to lose it, but they didn't learn to chase their health and have fun. They learned how to lose weight quickly and not sustain it. And that's with any kind of program. I, I love this because 
if I reframe your words, it's quite all right for people to just switch, right? And I think people should be okay with that. It's okay if you're no longer bodybuilding or you're no longer powerlifting or whatever it is. Or like for me, I gave up CrossFit because it wasn't, I, I just saw the data on what it was doing to my body. And yeah. that's, that's okay. And occasionally I'll go back and do some CrossFit stuff, but like, exactly. I think it's, it's okay to separate yourself from the tribe. And I think that's, um, give yourself permission, I guess would be the, the end result. Give yourself permission to go have fun. And like, even with me in my career, people are like, what are the heck you doing? Why would you close down a sports medicine practice and switch to an online thing? People are just fearful of that change. And as high achievers, as high performers, if you really want performance, one day you just got to tell yourself, like, I've never been mountain biking before. What would happen if I would throw myself into a race? Like, just go do it and get your butt kicked. It is the most exhilarating thing. Yeah. For me, it's it's just like we're all gonna die, whether it's eleven, whether you're 150 or your brain gets uploaded to some AI cloud at some point. Like you're you're gonna die, so you might as well experience most of this life, the most that you can. And uh, a continual motivation for me is to just sort of see what is possible, and that's that's sort of what excites me during the day. All right, next question because I've been ranting way too long and I want to hear your voice more. Uh, what's your top trick for enhancing focus? Yeah. Focus for me. Um, the lesson that I had to learn was reducing sympathetic tone. So parasympathetic sympathetic tone when we, it's way so, so easy to put out the fires all day and not think strategic about our life. Like literally you can show up at any kind of job and be immediately sucked into the problems, the emails, the Facebook, the whatever's going on. And uh, so you have to get into a strategic set of mind. And, and to me, from a health standpoint, that's increasing your parasympathetic and decreasing your sympathetic tone. So that's the whole 24 hours a day approach as opposed to thinking about what supplement I'm going to take to get into focus because those supplements aren't going to let you focus. If as soon as you show up for work and you've got five people knocking on your door and you don't have a system in place to say, no, this is my hour for strategic visionary stuff. I need to get my, my thought process around this. The supplements aren't going to help because you're in a fight or flight mode. So that that's my big thing. What do you, these questions are quickly becoming rather than the final four rapid fire questions, something else, but what, any tips that you have for people to decrease sympathetic tone? Let's just, I mean, I'm going to make a broad assumption that 80% of the people listening to this, if not more have a strong sympathetic drive. So uh, what, what do you do? Yeah. So there, there's two things and this is, this comes from a lot of years of working with high level entrepreneurs and, and the people who are, naturally sympathetic tone because there there's natural predisposition to this as well so typically what's been labeled and i don't like these labels at all adhd and all of that whole realm they're typically people who just have a higher level of sympathetic tone and dopamine and all of that kind of fun stuff that balance is is skewed towards that uh, so they have to spend extra time to work on that equation um, and i would say so your whole podcast is about sympathetic parasympathetic balance, <laughs> yep. uh, which is really cool. And people probably don't think of it that way. But when you start employing sleep and all of those things, so I'm not going to talk about that right now. Um, what I'm going to talk about is scheduling. So scheduling in the programming are the easiest way because if you don't get a handle on your schedule and you don't demand high performance for yourself, that everyone will interrupt you and it will keep you in a certain state. And so getting control and demanding of um, when your food is produced, how your food is produced, if it shows up, you know, not having to go to the store yourself, getting your schedule in hand with helpers helping you to do everything as opposed to, you know, the, the saying of, if you don't have an executive assistant, you are the executive assistant. That's very that will, true. <laughs> yep. That will keep you in a sympathetic tone because you constantly feel like you have to answer the emails. You constantly feel like you have to answer the phone calls and you never get that time away to do your meditation 
or to sleep you know, well, or to mindfully eat your food. You know, people who are in sympathetic tone eat their food in front of their computer while they're trying to multitask when the reality is they should be in a peaceful area so that their digestive enzymes and everything, the natural body processes start actually happening and putting the fork down and eating with your fingers so that you can enjoy the process of food and get your saliva going. And yeah, the list goes on. <laughs> You've just implicated half of wall street and by wall street, I mean the global finance industry. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> Cause I think the decade I spent in finance, I think there was probably once where I didn't have a multitasking lunch. Yeah. <laughs> And the difference being, and, and this was a massive epiphany for me because I went through the same thing. I, I skipped lunches because patients would show up at the door and I didn't respect my own time. So I was always busy and therefore I was always at like a quarter brain capacity. I couldn't make the best business decisions. I couldn't manage people. I couldn't, you know, see the strategic outline because in order to see strategy, you cannot be in sympathetic tone at all. If you want to build a better business, if you want to build a better workout program, if you want to build a better relationship with your spouse, you have to get into that parasympathetic tone so that you can actually see the forest instead of just banging your head against the tree. Amazing. Amazing. All right. Favorite book on high performance. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to flip it into the mindset thing again. And uh, the two that I really like first would be Ego is the Enemy, Ryan Holiday, and The Obstacle is the Way. Both of those are his books. Um, they are the foundation, you know, how I said, I just don't like mindset coaching. There are books that are foundational of human behavior more so than mindset. And so it gets after having a better mindset through understanding human nature and every high performer goes through their periods of really out of check ego and it destroys us all. I've had, I've had two, two periods in my life where ego destroyed me. That sounds like a conversation for another time. Uh, so I take it. So stoicism is sort of a guiding philosophy that you like to live by. Is that right? Yeah, correct. And, and Tim Ferriss had turned me onto it a few years ago um, with his simple example of go to the coffee shop and ask for a discount and get uncomfortable. And then that molded into what is the worst case scenario checklist. And, uh, when you realize that the worst case scenarios are like meaningless, it allows you the freedom to really do some crazy stuff. That's uh, very, again, very, very well said. This has been absolutely fun, Dr. Dave. So far beyond my wildest imaginations about this. In fact, you gave me some exercises for my knee, which I really appreciate. Uh, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, so two main things. The, the biggest thing would just be my Facebook page, Dr. Dave Heitman. And that's my public profile where information and um, you can reach out to me through there. Uh, one thing I did want to mention that uh, as far as programming and things like that, um, I do do consults around the programming. And if you have someone and uh, they're interested in doing it, let's just throw them a nice big discount so that we can coordinate care and get them the best level of um, uh, beyond their wildest dreams expectations set. The other thing that I, I really help, I have a company called Mom's Feet, and it helps moms overcome these types of issues around their foot pain uh, because there's a lot of guilt and things like that that happen. Uh, so there's a 21-day challenge right now. Uh, so if they go to momsfeet.com backslash, or I'm sorry, forward slash, <laughs> I've been saying this wrong for 20 yeah, years. Yeah, right? you, you so, and me both, by the way. My, my um, podcast for, editor <laughs> likes to correct me all the time. <laughs> for, uh, so momsfeet.com forward slash uh, special. Uh, you get a half off discount uh, code for your tribe of people. That's a 21 day challenge that gets them through the uh, initial steps of any type of foot pain that they could be having. So it's a really cool program. I want to have you back on sometime to talk about feet because this is a, a subject that Steven Sashin and I have talked about a little bit, but I want to go deeper because uh, there's a lot going on there. And you and I have a mutual love of Injinji socks. So uh, I would love to continue this conversation. But Dr. Dave, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you. This has been awesome. To all the superhumans listening out there, have an absolutely epic day. The show notes for this one, decodingsuperhuman.com slash Dr. Dave. Anyways, everybody, have an absolutely epic day. Remember, as always, perform better. Take care. Superhumans, before you go, can I ask two favors? Did you enjoy that episode? If so, 
can you send me an email at podcast at decodingsuperhuman.com? Provide any feedback, positive or negative. I would love to hear from you. And for those of you who have really taken advantage of that, you know I respond to each email. Secondly, if you did enjoy the episode, can you head on over to iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, any one of your favorite podcast listening platforms, and give Decoding Superhuman a five-star rating. It would really be appreciated. And then finally, for those of you who are looking at taking an informed approach to health, head on over to decodingsuperhuman.com. Check out what we have going on over there. And if you want to schedule a free 15-minute discovery call with me, you're going to have that option. Superhumans, have an absolutely epic day. And remember, as always, choose health. Choose health.